Book One, Chapter Eight of the History of Henry Esmond Esquire by William Makepeace Thackeray. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma Blythe. After good fortune comes evil. Book One, Chapter Eight. Since my lady Mary Wortley Montague brought home the custom of inoculation from Turkey, a perilous practice, many deem it, and only a useless rushing into the jaws of danger, I think the severity of the smallpox, that dreadful scourge of the world, has somewhat been abated in our part of it, and remember in my time hundreds of the young and beautiful who have been carried to the grave, or have only risen from their pillows, frightfully scarred and disfigured by this malady many a sweet face hath left its roses on the bed on which this dreadful and withering blight has laid them in my early days this pestilence would enter a village and destroy half its inhabitants at its approach it may well be imagined not only the beautiful but the strongest were alarmed and those fled who could one day in the year sixteen hundred ninety and four I have good reason to remember it. Dr. Tusher ran into Castlewood House with a face of consternation, saying that the malady had made its appearance at the blacksmith's house in the village, and that one of the maids there was down in the smallpox. The blacksmith, besides his forge and irons for horses, had an alehouse for men which his wife kept, and his company sat on benches before the inn door looking at the smithy while they drank their beer. Now there was a pretty girl at this inn, the landlord's men called Nancy Seavright, a bouncing, fresh-looking lass, whose face was as red as the hollyhocks over the pales of the garden behind the inn. At this time Harry Esmond was a lad of sixteen, and somehow in his walks and rambles it often happened that he fell in with Nancy Seavright's bonny face. If he did not want something done at the blacksmith's, he would go and drink ale at the three castles, or find some pretext for seeing this poor Nancy. Poor thing! Harry meant or imagined no harm, and she, no doubt, as little, but the truth is they were always meeting in the lanes or by the brook or at the garden palings or about Castlewood. It was, Lord, Mr. Henry, and how do you do, Nancy? Many and many a time in the week. "'Tis surprising the magnetic attraction which draws people together from ever so far. "'I blush, as I think of poor Nancy now, "'in a red bodice and buxom purple cheeks and a canvas petticoat, "'and that I devised schemes and set traps and made speeches in my heart, "'which I seldom had courage to say when in presence of that humble enchantress, "'who knew nothing beyond milking a cow and opened her black eyes with wonder.' when I made one of my fine speeches out of Walla, or Ovid. Poor Nancy, from the midst of far-off years thine honest country face beams out, and I remember thy kind voice as if I had heard it yesterday. When Dr. Tusher brought the news that the smallpox was at the three castles, whither a tramper, it was said, had brought the malady. Henry Esmond's first thought was of alarm for poor Nancy, and then of shame and disquiet for the Castlewood family, lest he might have brought this infection. For the truth is that Mr. Harry had been sitting in a back room for an hour that day, where Nancy Seavright was, with a little brother who complained of headache, 
and was lying stupefied and crying either in a chair by the corner of the fire or in nancy's lap or on mine little lady beatrix screamed out at dr tusher's news and my lord cried out god bless me he was a brave man and not afraid of death in any shape but this he was very proud of his pink complexion and fair hair but the idea of death by smallpox scared him beyond all other ends we will take the children and ride away to-morrow to walcott this was my lord's small house inherited from his mother next to winchester that is the best refuge in case the disease spreads said dr tusher tis awful to think of it beginning at the alehouse half the people of the village have visited that to-day or the blacksmith's which is the same thing my clerk nam lodges with them i can never go into my reading desk and have that fellow so near me i won't have that man near me if a parishioner dying in the smallpox sent to you would you not go asked my lady looking up from her frame of work with her calm blue eyes by the lord i wouldn't said my lord we are not in a popish country and a sick man doth not absolutely need absolution and confession said the doctor tis true they are a comfort and a help to him when attainable and to be administered with hope of good but in a case where the life of a parish priest in the midst of his flock is highly valuable to them he is not called upon to risk it and therewith the lives future prospects and temporal even spiritual welfare of his own family for the sake of a single person who is not very likely in a condition even to understand the religious message whereof the priest is the bringer being uneducated and likewise stupefied or delirious by disease if your ladyship or his lordship my excellent good friend and patron were to take it god forbid cried my lord amen continued dr tusher amen to that prayer my very good lord for your sake i would lay my life down and to judge from the alarmed look on the doctor's purple face you would have thought that that sacrifice was about to be called for instantly to love children and be gentle with them was an instinct rather than a merit in henry esmond so much so that he thought almost with a sort of shame of his liking for them and of the softness into which it betrayed him and on this day the poor fellow had not only had his young friend the milkmaid's brother on his knee but had been drawing pictures and telling stories to the little frank castlewood who had occupied the same place for an hour after dinner and was never tired of henry's tales and his pictures of soldiers and horses as luck would have it beatrix had not on that evening taken her usual place which generally she was glad enough to have upon her tutor's lap for beatrix from the earliest time was jealous of every caress which was given to her little brother frank she would fling away even from the maternal arms if she saw frank had been there before her insomuch that lady esmond was obliged not to show her love for her son in the presence of the little girl and embraced one or the other alone she would turn pale and red with rage if she caught signs of intelligence or affection between frank and his mother would sit apart and not speak for a whole night if she thought the boy had a better fruit or a larger cake than hers would fling away a ribbon if he had one and from the earliest age sitting up in her little chair by the great fireplace opposite to the corner where lady castlewood commonly sat at her embroidery 
would utter infantine sarcasms about the favour shown to her brother. These, if spoken in the presence of Lord Castlewood, tickled and amused his humour. He would pretend to love Frank best and dandle and kiss him, and roar with laughter at Beatrix's jealousy. But the truth is, my lord did not often witness these scenes, nor very much trouble the quiet fireside at which his lady passed many long evenings. My lord was hunting all day when the season admitted. He frequented all the cockfights and fairs in the country, and would ride twenty miles to see a main fought, or two clowns break their heads at a cudgelling match. And he liked better to sit in his parlour drinking ale and punch with Jack and Tom than in his wife's drawing-room, whither, if he came, he brought only too often bloodshot eyes, a hiccuping voice, and a reeling gait. The management of the house and the property, the care of the few tenants, and the village poor, and the accounts of the estate, were in the hands of his lady and her young secretary, Harry Esmond. My lord took charge of the stables, the kennel, and the cellar, and he filled this, and emptied it too. So it chanced that upon this very day, when poor Harry Esmond had had the blacksmith's son and the peer's son alike upon his knee, little Beatrix, who had come to her tutor willingly enough with her book and her writing, had refused him, seeing the place occupied by her brother, and luckily for her, had sat at the further end of the room away from him, playing with a spaniel dog which she had, and for which, by fits and starts, she would take a great affection, and talking at Harry Esmond over her shoulder, as she pretended to caress the dog, saying that Fido would love her, and she would love Fido, and nothing but Fido all her life. When, then, the news was brought, that the little boy at the three castles was ill with the smallpox, poor Harry Esmond felt a shock of alarm, not so much for himself as for his mistress's son, whom he might have brought into peril. Beatrix, who had pouted sufficiently, and who, whenever a stranger appeared, began from infancy almost to play off little graces to catch his attention, her brother being now gone to bed, was for taking her place upon Esmond's knee. For though the doctor was very obsequious to her, she did not like him, because he had thick boots and dirty hands, the pert young miss said, and because she hated learning the catechism. But she advanced towards Esmond from the corner where she had been sulking. He started back and placed a great chair on which he was sitting between him and her, saying in the French language to Lady Castlewood, with whom the young lad had read much, and whom he had perfected in his tongue, Madam, the child must not approach me. I must tell you that I was at the blacksmith's to-day, and had his little boy upon my lap, where you took my son afterwards. Lady Castlewood said, very angry and turning red, I thank you, sir, for giving him such company. Beatrix, she said in English, I forbid you to touch Mr. Esmond. Come away, child, come to your room, come to your room. I wish your reverence good night. And you, sir, had you not better go back to your friends at the alehouse? Her eyes, ordinarily so kind, darted flashes of anger as she spoke, and she tossed up her head which hung down commonly, with the mien of a princess. Heyday, says my lord, who was standing by the fireplace. Indeed, he was in the position to which he generally came by that hour of the evening. Heyday, Rachel, what are you in a passion about? Ladies ought never to be in a passion, ought they, Dr. Tusher? 
though it does good to see rachel in a passion damn lady castlewood you look devilish handsome in a passion it is my lord because mr henry esmond having nothing to do with his time here and not having a taste for our company has been to the alehouse where he has some friends my lord burst out with a laugh and an oath you young fly-boots you've been at nancy Seaverite. damn the young hypocrite who'd have thought it in him i say tusher he's been after enough my lord said my lady don't insult me with this talk upon my word said poor harry trying to cry with shame and mortification the honour of that young person is perfectly unstained for me oh of course of course says my lord more and more laughing and tipsy upon his honour doctor nancy Seave, take mistress beatrix to bed my lady cried at this moment to mrs tucker a woman who came in with her ladyship's tea put her into my room no into yours she added quickly go my child go i say not a word and beatrix quite surprised at so sudden a tone of authority from one who was seldom accustomed to raise her voice went out of the room with a scared countenance and waited even to burst out a-crying until she got to the door with mrs tucker for once her mother took little heed of her sobbing and continued to speak eagerly my lord she said this young man your dependent told me just now in french he was ashamed to speak in his own language that he had been at the alehouse all day where he has had that little wretch who is now ill of the smallpox on his knee and he comes home reeking from that place yes reeking from it and takes my boy into his lap without shame and sits down by me yes by me he may have killed frank for what i know killed our child why was he brought in to disgrace our house why is he here let him go let him go i say to-night and pollute the place no more she had never once uttered a syllable of unkindness to harry esmond and her cruel words smote the poor boy so that he stood for some moments bewildered with grief and rage at the injustice of such a stab from such a hand he turned quite white from red which he had been i cannot help my birth madam he said nor my other misfortune and as for your boy if if my coming nigh to him pollutes him now it was not so always good night my lord heaven bless you and yours for your goodness to me i have tired her ladyship's kindness out and i will go and sinking down on his knee harry esmond took the rough hand of his benefactor and kissed it he wants to go to the alehouse let him go cried my lady i'm damned if he shall said my lord i didn't think you could be so damned ungrateful rachel her reply was to burst into a flood of tears and to quit the room with a rapid glance at harry esmond as my lord not heeding them and still in great good humour raised up his young client from his kneeling posture for a thousand kindnesses had caused the lad to revere my lord as a father and put his broad hand on harry esmond's shoulder she was always so my lord said the very notion of a woman drives her mad i took to liquor on that very account by jove for no other reason than that for she can't be jealous of a beer-barrel or a bottle of rum can she doctor damn it look at the maids just look at the maids in the house my lord pronounced all the words together just look at the maids in the house did you ever see such a maze she wouldn't take a wife out of castlewood now would you doctor and my lord burst out laughing the doctor 
who had been looking at my lord castlewood from under his eyelids said but joking apart and my lord as a divine i cannot treat the subject in a jocular light nor as a pastor of this congregation look with anything but sorrow at the idea of so very young a sheep going astray sir said young esmond bursting out indignantly she told me that you yourself were a hard old man and had offered to kiss her in the dairy for shame henry cried dr tusher turning as red as a turkey cock while my lord continued to roar with laughter if you listen to the falsehoods of an abandoned girl she is as honest as any woman in england and as pure for me cried out henry and as kind and as good for shame on you to malign her far be it from me to do so cried the doctor heaven grant i may be mistaken in the girl and in you sir who have a truly precocious genius but that is not the point at issue at present it appears that the smallpox broke out in the little boy at the three castles that it was on him when you visited the alehouse for your own reasons and that you sat with the child for some time and immediately afterwards with my young lord the doctor raised his voice as he spoke and looked towards milady who had now come back looking very pale with a handkerchief in her hand this is all very true sir said lady esmond looking at the young man tis to be feared that he may have brought the infection with him from the alehouse yes said my lady damn it i forgot when i collared you boy cried my lord stepping back keep off harry my boy there's no good in running into the wolf's jaws you know my lady looked at him with some surprise and instantly advancing to henry esmond took his hand i beg your pardon henry she said i spoke very unkindly i have no right to interfere with you with your my lord broke out into an oath can't you leave the boy alone my lady she looked a little red and faintly pressed the lad's hand as she dropped it there is no use my lord she said frank was on his knee as he was making pictures and was running constantly from henry to me the evil is done if any not with me damn cried my lord i've been smoking and he lighted his pipe again with a coal and it keeps off infection and as the disease is in the village plague take it i would have you leave it we'll go to-morrow to walcott my lady i have no fear said my lady i may have had it as an infant it broke out in our house then and when four of my sisters had it at home two years before our marriage i escaped it and two of my dear sisters died i won't run the risk said my lord i'm as bold as any man but i'll not bear that take beatrix with you and go said my lady for us the mischief is done and tucker can wait upon us who has had the disease you take care to choose him ugly enough said my lord at which her ladyship hung down her head and looked foolish and my lord calling away tusher bade him come to the oak parlour and have a pipe the doctor made a low bow to her ladyship of which salaams he was profuse and walked off on his creaking square toes after his patron when the lady and the young man were alone there was a silence of some moments during which he stood at the fire looking rather vacantly at the dying embers whilst her ladyship busied herself with the tambour frame and needles i am sorry she said after a pause in a hard dry voice i repeat i am sorry that i showed myself so ungrateful for the safety of my son it was not at all my wish that you should leave us i am sure unless you found pleasure elsewhere but you must perceive mr esmond that at your age and with your tastes 
it is impossible that you can continue to stay upon the intimate footing in which you have been in this family you have wished to go to the university and i think tis quite as well that you should be sent thither i did not press this matter thinking you a child as you are indeed in years quite a child and i should never have thought of treating you otherwise until until these circumstances came to light and i shall beg my lord to dispatch you as quick as possible and will go on with frank's learning as well as i can i owe my father thanks for a little grounding and you i'm sure for much that you have taught me and and i wish you a good night mr esmond and with this she dropped a stately curtsey and taking her candle went away through the tapestry door which led to her apartments esmond stood by the fireplace blankly staring after her indeed his gas seemed to see until she was gone and then her image was impressed upon him and remained for ever fixed upon his memory he saw her retreating the taper lighting up her marble face her scarlet lip quivering and her shining golden hair he went to his own room and to bed where he tried to read as his custom was but he never knew what he was reading until afterwards he remembered the appearance of the letters of the book it was in montaigne's essays and the events of the day passed before him that is of the last hour of the day for as for the morning and the poor milkmaid yonder he never so much at once thought and he could not get to sleep until daylight and woke with a violent headache and quite unrefreshed he had brought the contagion with him from the three castles sure enough and was presently laid up with the smallpox which spared the hall no more than it did the cottage End of book one, chapter eight, recording by Gemma Blythe.